Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. It's uh, right at the end of the Old Testament, just before Matthew. So if you can find the beginning of the New Testament and just flip a few page, pages back the other direction, you will be at our, our book for today. It's only two chapters long, so you can uh, easily sneak back past it and end up in Zephaniah territory or Nahum. But Haggai is the one uh, that we want to look at today. This is uh, a book that's uh, set in the time when the people of God have uh, now been allowed to go back, or at least a portion of them, to the uh, promised land. They had been removed from that land. That was part of God's blessing to, to them, the, having the land. And they lost some of that privilege, that blessing, because they had not walked faithfully with the Lord. They had not sincerely sought him in repentance and uh, depended upon his mercy and, and love. They had instead depended upon themselves and wandered away from the Lord. And so the Lord had, at a period of time, allowed them progressively to be removed from that land. And now, in about 538, they, after being in captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and Persians, are now allowed to, to go back. Well, they go back in 538, and they start to do something pretty important for their worship. And you know, there's no direct parallel lines that we can draw between the Old Testament uh, temple, because the Old Testament temple is fulfilled ultimately in Christ, and we as God's people with God's Spirit are ultimately the, the temple. But the people of God had this opportunity then in 538 to begin rebuilding their temple, that place where God's presence would uh, dwell and their place of worship. But pretty soon, that effort stalled out for various reasons. And so we have the message of Haggai in uh, around 520 B.C. when uh, things had not been completed. And you'll see today as we read. And I will uh, just mention again, this is a generosity-focused Sunday for our Forward by Faith Capital campaign. So the next, uh, well, last week we talked in general about faith, the opportunity to step out in faith. And we heard some stories about how God's touched lives in our church through faith. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to look at generations and celebrate what's happening with the young ones in our church. And then the 18th, we're going to celebrate what we trust God will have done at that point for this campaign. So this is the generosity day. We are going to talk about money. We're going to talk about those kind of commitments. We've already been doing that. And it's not going to be our whole focus for the rest of the campaign. We're trying to cover that today. But uh, just, just clearing the air on, on that. That's part of what we need to discuss because it's part of God's purpose in our lives. Ultimately, we call this generosity because we have a generous God. We have a God who's given each one of us life. We have a God who's provided for us the, the bounty that he has for most of our families. And uh, many of us can say that we've gone through our whole life and probably not known a day when we couldn't find something to eat or we didn't have a roof over our heads. Maybe some of us that hasn't been the story, but many of us could say that's the, the fact. And, and then we have... The greatest thing of all, uh, even if our life hasn't been marked by very much physical or material blessing, we have the greatest blessing of Christ and the eternal life that we'll share with him. Yes. And so we're 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 thankful about that. And so that overflows in a heart of generosity for us. Haggai talks about this and the importance of God's place for meeting and worship for God's people. So read along with me silently as I read aloud uh, Haggai chapter 1. There's going to be a couple big names in here, but that just reminds us that this is real stuff. 
that took place in a real time and place situation. It's not made up. And uh, Darius is the king of the entire uh, Babylonian Persian uh, Empire that would become the Persian Empire. Read along with me silently as I read aloud. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and and yet you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. He's talking about the temple. And I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people of the Lord's message. I'm with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Chapter 2, just a couple of verses to highlight, starting in verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work! I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant I made with you when I came, when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, 
We ask that you would be our teacher now in this time. We pray that you would do this uh, not by our might, not by our power, but by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've flipped through the TV channels recently, you've probably seen it as I have. Amish out of order. Breaking Amish. Amish mafia. And then my personal favorite, because I like, as you already know, the DIY channel. Vanilla Ice goes Amish. DIY. Amish are uh, interesting as part of why they're on TV. We had an opportunity, my wife and I, patients, when we lived in St. Louis, we had some friends who had family, an aunt and uncle, who had uh, migrated, I guess you would say spiritually, into the Amish lifestyle and community. So we had an opportunity to go and stay with them for an entire weekend. Now, as you can imagine, the theologian in me, Enjoyed the chance to talk with them about the reasons for all of their beliefs and so forth. So that was interesting. The uh, warp back in time to sort of 1920s American farm life was interesting as well. We, we enjoyed the animals and the farm and horses and so forth. But what was most interesting that we saw, and is probably one of the things that, that you all think of after you sort of think of the jams and the nice wood furniture and the, the, the black buggies and the, the uh, distinctive clothing. After you get past that, probably what a lot of us would say we think about with the Amish is the sense of purposeful community. The sense of intentional generosity of sharing and supporting one another with their, their efforts, their time, and their resources. Probably the most uh, uh, prominent picture in our mind when we would think about the Amish community is that of just a, a good old-fashioned barn raising. The walls, the wooden sides being pulled up, uh, perhaps by the men, I guess, in their case. The ladies probably working together to get together a meal for everybody to share, but that, that structure coming up as they work together. So we have that picture in our mind that's a little bit of the challenge, the, the picture that Haggai is challenging the people to lay a hold of. Uh, he's challenging them to lay a hold of it, not, not just for some demonstration in this life that people can get together and do something. You know, there's lots of organizations that do that where folks get together. But as we see in the passage that folks can get together and do something for the glory of God and for his presence to be dwelling with them and to be brought to their community and extended to their community. Haggai didn't pull any punches, and I'm not even going to dwell on it all that long because you've already read it with me, and it's pretty crystal clear. Look with me at what Haggai has to, to say uh, to the people of God way back when and to us today, each one of us, myself included, the people of God today. He says, uh, starting in verse 2 of chapter 1, he, he offers some words of uh, correction and rebuke, we might say. Because the people are, are really neglecting the priority of the place of worship for God's people. He says this. He says, the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house. Remember, that's why they went back to the land. And yet it's not been built. There's been a delay. It sounds like they're not really planning to do it, right? It's been a while. 
Come to us next year. No, no, come next year. No, come on next year. Haggai's confronting that mentality. And then he goes on, he says in verse 3 and then 4, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Okay, so, you know, God's not saying to the people, Hey, you know, you just need to live out in the wilderness and not have any place to, to, to be at this point. He's saying, hey, it's okay that you've got your own place, your own location, and you've taken care to have a house. But, but look, you've not only got a nice place, you've not only got a place, but you've got a nice place. It's a paneled house. That would be a, a stylish place to live at the time. He says, if that's the case, if that's taken care of, you've got that handled, where's the heart for the meeting place for the people of God. It's a pretty direct challenge for the people in that time and certainly for us today. Goes on though to say, you know, it's actually not just a deal where, hey, God's people need a place to ultimately meet and worship. It's actually hurting the people. They're being affected by it in a negative way. And they experience through the futility and frustration that comes when they just prioritize their personal gain. We're all tempted to do that every day of every week. Our culture feeds that lion in us to prioritize our personal gain. And the reality is we've probably all experienced it. It's futile and it's frustrating if that's the end goal that we live for. Listen to how it's described in these verses, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. The Lord says, consider your ways. You've sown much. Sowing is, you know, casting the seed out into the field to grow. So you're throwing a lot of seed out there, but you're not getting much back. Goes on and says, you know, you drink a lot, you eat a lot, but you don't really feel full. And then he even goes and says, hey, you make some money and you put it in some kind of container, but it's like there's a hole in the bottom. It's just dropping out. What's the message here? It goes on and says some more about it in the next couple of verses. But for time, we'll just summarize it this way. All right, the, the Lord has no problem with us making a reasonable provision for our household. We're all called to do that. That's, that's a right and good thing to do. But material things of this life are not meant to hold the weight of our worship. They're not meant to be the center of our lives. And so if God gets deflected from being the center and those things become the center, they just collapse. They don't hold the weight of it. They can't handle the pressure. That's what Haggai's saying to these people. The things that they're hoping in and trying to accumulate, they're thinking, well, we sock more away. Surely that's going to get us where we need to be. But in fact, it takes them further away. And the call that Haggai says is, you know, put... Put the things of God's kingdom first and demonstrate that by faith and action and see if I don't do a work in your life where you begin to experience these things. Look at verse 12, because he doesn't leave us there, thankfully. Verse 12, it describes the, the leaders. It's interesting that it highlights the leaders here, Zerubbabel and Joshua. But then it also talks about the people and it says they did something interesting. They took a step forward by faith. They obeyed the word of the Lord. They did what he called them to do. And when he did, they were able to fear him. That's a good thing in the scriptures. They were able to have awe and experience of God to, to know him. And then uh, read on. Well, actually jump back with me to verse 8 before we read on. It said, God says what's going to happen if they do this. He says that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. 
And it goes on and we see that the people begin to uh, work together and to serve the Lord together. And then jump with me down to chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. We see that the people are locking arms together and something's happening as they're trusting God. God's Spirit is coming to work in their midst. They're experiencing the living God. The people, the leaders experience the Spirit of God. And all the people do as well. And then this last sentence, verse 9, that I read. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Now, ultimately, we're going to talk in just a second about how that's fulfilled through Christ. But what an amazing thing that God's going to meet them and allow them to experience the beauty, the glory, his presence in their lives. This is what we're talking about with forward by faith. And it's really not about the material things, except for the fact that the material things are a reflection of our heart. And when our heart is connected with the Lord, then we can trust that he'll meet us in a special way that only he can. Now, one of the things we want to do today and uh, to do a little bit of housekeeping, because we've got this opportunity coming up in two weeks to submit these pledge cards, is to just give you an update of kind of where things are and to even let you look at a sample of the pledge card that's in your pew there. And then we'll we'll kind of ratchet things down uh, for our message today. But. I'm really encouraged. It's it's interesting to look at this passage and see how many times it mentions the leaders, the high priest and the governor, uh, Zerubbabel. And I think part of what the leaders of God's people are called to is to step out in faith and to kind of demonstrate this. And so one thing we wanted to share with you today uh, as we are moving towards this May 18th and essentially seeking to raise about a million dollars is that our officers have already, almost all of them, some of them are still praying through their commitment, already made uh, their commitments. I guess seven out of the 10 or so officers and staff, we've gotten in our commitments and we're already at $225,000 from that part of the campaign. So those seven or eight families have done that and several more that are turning theirs in soon. Uh, outside giving that I've been trying to, uh, to seek from folks that maybe aren't even members of our church, but that know us from the community or that have been praying for us for years and supporting. And God's already raised up and we, we anticipate more coming in, but already raised up 90,000 from those uh, visits and meetings. So we're really encouraged at the fact that we're at about 315,000 and we have yet for the other 50 families of our church to even be participating. Yes, ma'am. Amen. I, I agree. We are, we are thankful for that. So, so be encouraged by that. I think for some of us, it's just natural. You say, goodness, we're going to raise, you know, 60 families going to raise a million dollars. That seems like a huge number. It is. It is a big number. We said not by faith, not by power, but by my spirit. And we just want you to know we're already, you know, a third of the way there, essentially, as you all consider your commitments We do want you to understand uh, what we're doing. So go ahead and take at the end of your pews. There's a couple of sheets. There's a white one. Take that one first. And it's just a a little layout. And and all all we're doing here is making sure that everybody understands what we're doing in terms of the pledge card. Because we would hate for someone to be sitting there the next week or so and May 18 shows up. And and you either just feel really discouraged because you don't understand this card or don't understand how to to participate with it. We want to make sure you know about that. And then also... We're really going to be depending, our officers, you know, again, we handle all this anonymously. It's just directed through Christine, our bookkeeper. And, and so the officers will, will not know any details of any individual giving. But after May 18th, we're going to need to take a real careful look at where we are in our numbers 
to make some real important decisions about going forward with this. And we would hate for either, you know, half the congregation to be confused about how to complete this card. And then we have a, a higher number than we really are actually going to get or vice versa. We wouldn't want to not go forward because we somehow get a lower number when really folks are planning to commit higher. So just take this. There's a side that says Julie Jones and look with it at me or look, look at it with me. Something like that. Here's all we're asking for you to do. Line number four is going to be whatever you plan to do as far as a total commitment to this forward by faith effort. So line number four is a key number that we're going to look at. It is huge. It is incredibly important, if at all possible, for us to get as much of this in on May 18th. So if you're able to give your 2014 commitment on May 18th, you know, the whole year's worth. That would be fantastic. That's going to help us with the banks. That's going to lower our interest rate. It'll, it'll be really good for us. Uh, but whatever each family can, can do is whatever they can do. So you see uh, Julie's got $500 put down there. Then she plans to give $7,000. Sounds, sounds like a lot maybe for her. Maybe this is a young single gal or something. And, and yet you look at it and you say, well, $45 a week. That's sacrificial. That's going to mean not eating out one time. That's going to be maybe working a little bit overtime or taking another babysitting job or mowing another lawn or working at the office a little longer or not taking the trip that you might have planned to take. But but she's committing to that level. And then all that's totaled up to seventy five hundred at the bottom. You flip over the page. You see John and Jane Doe. It's the same scenario. They're, they're giving some, too, from stocks. Uh, the officers have encouraged me to remind you all that uh, this is a great time to give from stocks if you have any money invested in the market because it's way up and you're paying the government a lot on that in taxes. Maybe some of you just saw that about two weeks ago in your taxes. And so uh, when you give through that means, you can save because you itemize that deduction and you also are not taxed on those gains. So if you need to talk to your financial planner, I'm sure uh, Frank Bracado, who's on our financial uh, committee here at the church, he'd be happy to explain some of that to you. We wanted you to understand this card. If you've got other questions, you know, please approach us as uh, church leaders. We want to help with that part of it. Okay, a couple last things I want us to see if we can turn a corner here. So we've seen this giving call. High guys made it clear to us the blessings, the presence of God, the experience of his glory that comes when God's people trust him, uh, when they have their own houses in order and then they recognize, hey, we need to provide for God's house as well. Look with me quickly at Matthew chapter six. We've got just a minute or two more. Matthew chapter six. So just a couple of pages over, really, from Haggai. Matthew chapter 6, because we are going to invite the whole congregation. Now, everybody might not feel comfortable doing this. might be a, seem like a too radical of a thing to do, but we, we have several times in the life of five-year life of our church done a season of fasting and prayer. This thing that we're doing to go forward by faith and purchase this land is, is huge. So we want to come before the Lord in fasting and in prayer. And, and all I want you to see from Matthew, let me just read these verses, is the correlation between some other things that we're doing, giving, that we're talking about, and fasting and praying. These, these three disciplines that God wants to work in our life through. Matthew 6, verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, 
that you may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, if they have received their reward. And when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you, your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Then verse five. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and they that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then jumping down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A couple quick things from that passage, and you can go ahead and grab the yellow sheet. I've got a lot of paper for you today. Grab the yellow sheet that's at the end of your pew. And flip over to where it says before the fast on the back. Again, the uh, opportunity before us is to draw close to the Lord through a time of fasting Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. That uh, for all those who would want to participate, we would sort of conclude with our prayer time on Wednesday, 7 to 730 out at the the land uh, over behind the credit union. Here's a couple of things that God can do in your life through fasting if you've never done it before. And uh, this is not something that I do nearly as regularly as I should, certainly. But it's interesting in our passage. Did you notice two other things that we'd say are par for the course of the Christian life? Giving and praying, we sort of assume that we would do. It's right in the same flow to say fasting. When you fast, Jesus kind of assumes that we're going to do that. Why? What's going to happen in your life potentially through this? Look under before the fast. There's the most indebted, indented bullet points where it says, What are the spiritual objectives? Number one, when you fast, you're usually going to experience deeper intimacy with God. There's something that happens when we put ourselves in a place where we uh, are hungry and we don't have enough to eat, that we remember how dependent we are, that the air that flows into our lungs, that everything, the very makeup of our bodies, those things are held together by God. And that's why we exist. And that brings us into closer relationship with the Lord. Uh, many of us, myself included, have regular areas of sin that we, we struggle with that seem to just dog us throughout our life. You know, one of those things, a lot of those things are driven through just internal drives. Maybe it's a fit of anger that we wrestle with. Maybe there's addiction struggles that we have. Uh, maybe it's just greed for more and more. Maybe it's that drive for success. Maybe it's the worship of the opinion of others. Maybe it's the lust monster. Wh- whatever it is, those things feel really strong. So does hunger. And guess what we discover when we depend upon God in the midst of intentionally making ourselves hungry? God can come and he can satisfy. And then we learn how to do that with those other areas that we're struggling with of sin. There's nothing wrong with being hungry. That's okay. It's just a a testing ground, a practice field, if you will, to learn to see victory over other drives that, that aren't so good, maybe. Intercession for others. The fact is we all spend, you know, 20 minutes, even if you're eating a quick lunch, the kids at the lunchroom here, they're down to like 18 minutes for eating lunch at the school, you know, chop, chop, get that stuff done. You know, all of us spend a little time. When you take that time during a three-day period, dinner time, breakfast time, lunch time, and you spend that praying for other people and praying for God's kingdom through our church, it's just extra prayer time, if you will. 
But God's going to meet us in that way, praying for revival, praying for spiritual awakening, all the things that you see listed here. And uh, guess what? As well, it costs a little bit of money to eat. You know, it's not a huge part of our budget. Maybe the Old Testament people was a bigger part of their budget, but it costs something. And when we do without that for a little while, more is freed up to give to the needy, to give to kingdom causes. So we invite you to participate in that. Maybe for some of you that are doing it for the first time, as it lists on the front of the sheet, maybe it would be just for the daylight hours on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Maybe you don't want to do it round the clock, uh, but it'd be a starting place for you. And we invite you to participate in that. Let me close with this. It's interesting what Ephesians says in chapter 2. And this will be our last passage for me to read to you today. Ephesians chapter 2. When we think about our Haggai passage, when we think about this idea of fasting and prayer, it says in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19, describing the church, describing us today, the people of God. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that. You, Lord Jesus, are the uh, temple. You're the dwelling place and Holy Spirit that has been poured out into each one of us. If we have surrendered our life to Christ and received his mercy, then we are uh, building blocks, as it were, of this temple that you're building of your people. And we thank you for the way that you're fulfilling your kingdom. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the promise of that and that all of that is built on this chief cornerstone of Christ and his redemption and mercy. And we we thank you for the generosity that the Lord Jesus, though he was rich for our sake, became poor. He took on a poor status so that we in him who are poor in spirit, spiritually needy, might become rich. Father, out of that generosity that you've shown, out of that generosity of your character, Lord, allow us to well up with generosity for the things of your kingdom, that you would be glorified, that your presence would be demonstrated in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.